While you're still standing this evening, I want to bring to this pulpit Brother Scott Sistrunk, who is the General Director of North American Missions. I first met Brother Sistrunk in Michigan, and uh, we've enjoyed a, a uh, working relationship different ways ever since then. Praise God. Brother Sistrunk, I want you to come. I want you to uh, deliver your heart to this congregation tonight. God bless you. He'll be with us in our business session tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So good to be here in the New Jersey, Delaware district. My first time to come to this district. For any reason. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, that's saying something since I was a deputizing missionary for three terms. So, uh, <laughs> but it's great to be here. I just have to take a little time and say how much I love the mosses. Um, I was planting a church in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Their son was in law school, University of Michigan Law School. And, um, what years was that, Brother Moss? It was 94 to 96, something like that. It would have had to have been in 96, uh, at least. But uh, we were, I didn't know what I was doing. I had uh, just a little group there, and uh, I will tell you, we were struggling. And... Uh, all of a sudden, brother and sister Moss walk in the back door. And one thing I know about the Mosses is they just exude integrity. Integrity. Um, man, I'll get, I'll get choked up thinking about those days. But uh, to have a wonderful apostolic couple come in and just people could see, hey, there are other people in the world that believe like we do. <laughs> These people are from Oklahoma. And I'd have Brother Moss testify. He never would tell me when he was coming. So I never could ask him to preach. I mean, I'm serious. He would just show up. And I'm like, oh, there's a Moss. So, uh, but it, it was wonderful. Then uh, after we started that church, I became a Metro missionary probably 10 years later, and he was the North American Missions Director, Home Missions at the time, in Oklahoma, and I got to stay in their house and eat her good cooking, and, uh, it, was, uh, and it was a comfort uh, to me. I don't know. Uh, they don't know what I was dealing with when I was at their house, but they ministered to me. Give honor where honor is due. Love you all. Praise God. Give honor to Brother Akimano. I hope I said that right. <laughs> and Brother Gillis, our NAM director. He was out of place. I always see him at board meetings, but I've, since I've never been to the district, I, I'm like, okay, I know you, but where and what? <laughs> So, but it's good to be in church tonight. Don't you love what you feel? Yeah. Amen. I love what I feel here tonight. 
Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 through 10. I think you're very familiar with this passage. I'm going think they have it in the, do they have it in the New Living Translation up there? Okay. I'm going to read it out of the New Living. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength. I like the King James better on this one. Maybe we are not by might nor by power, right? <laughs> but by my spirit, uh, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I like that. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Amen. I feel him here right now. He's searching now. I don't know, but I know God's watching. He cares about what we're doing here tonight. It's important. And God has a message for us tonight from his word. Amen. Aren't you glad you serve the Lord? Aren't you glad you know the name of Jesus? Oh, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you tonight. God, I pray that you administer to us through your word. God, I pray, God, that you would speak to us, God. Your word is power. Your word is life, oh God. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth, oh God. Lord, speak to us tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. This was about probably the lowest time, the setting of this scripture. It was probably the lowest and worst time for God's people. <laughs> until perhaps the Holocaust. The 10 tribes to the north, Israel was in captivity, had been kind of wiped out, lost their identity. Syrian captivity, they'll never be reconstituted as a nation. Judah has been in captivity for some 70 years. They are displaced from the land at the height of Solomon's reign, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, there were probably 7 million or so Jews in the land of Palestine or Israel. And now there may be uh, just a few thousand, maybe, maybe up to 50,000 
are here. And everything has been destroyed. The walls have been, been torn down. All the buildings that used to exist have been looted and ransacked. Uh, it, Solomon's temple has been long destroyed and is just a memory. Solomon's temple was so thoroughly destroyed that they still can't even find one relic from it. Nothing. And everything that Israel was resolved around the land which they were displaced from, the temple which no longer existed, and the Torah which was out of use at the time. It'll take Ezra to restore the law. Everything has been destroyed. In the middle of all this, Cyrus, which Isaiah had prophesied would happen, gave a command to rebuild the temple. Now, Cyrus was no godly man, and he rebuilt a lot of temples. Cyrus re realized that people needed their religion, and so Cyrus was a temple builder, not just for Jehovah, but for other false gods. But God used him to uh, fund the rebuilding of the temple. And so Zerubbabel leads a ragtag band back to the land of Israel with orders from Cyrus to rebuild the temple. How in the world was one man going to restore the glory of Solomon's temple? Solomon's temple, I've seen estimates as high as $20 billion. Uh, it was a wonder of the world. Nothing like it before, nothing like it since. There's not a building on this planet today that costs $20 billion. It was glorious. It was magnificent. And Zerubbabel needed some encouragement. And so the prophet came and said, it's not by might nor by power but it's by my spirit. God's work can never be done by human effort alone. God needs you, Zerubbabel, but you are not, you are correct. You are not capable, you are not able, you don't have the power, you don't have the strength, you don't have the resources. You know, it's a good place to be in when you tell God, God, I've done all I can do. I've got nothing left. Now, it doesn't feel like a good place, but it's a good place. I said it's a good place. And so I'm glad he didn't just say, 
It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. But God gives some more detail here. He said, when Zerubbabel sets the final stone in the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless you. When, not if, but when you set that last stone. When God calls you to a work, you can complete it. God doesn't make mistakes. I will tell you this. There is so much energy and time wasted by men and women of God wringing their hands over whether what God said will happen will actually happen. Now, you're in good company. Almost every great man and woman of God throughout the Bible and since have done it. At some point. Can this be? One old man said, If God was to open the windows of heaven, could this thing be? But I'm here to tell you tonight that God's word is forever true. God's word is forever true. And nothing takes God by surprise. COVID didn't take God by surprise. Whatever's happening in Ukraine right now, God was not surprised by it. Whatever happens tomorrow, God already knows about it. He knew about it from the foundation of the earth. Whatever circumstance that is going on in your life right now, God has already incorporated it into his plan. And when the work is finished, when the work is finished. Oh, come on. Then he goes on and he tells, gives Zerubbabel another message. And I like this one. It's more specific. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. You see, we can get, we can get, we can psych ourselves up and say, well, I don't know. Maybe God's got some other plan. No, God calls you to do the work, Zerubbabel. You're going to lay the final stone, the final capstone, Zerubbabel. You're going to finish it. You see, we, I'm preaching to somebody here that needs some specific faith right now. We all believe God made the world, right? Everybody's on board with God knows what's going on in Ukraine. Nobody's questioning that. Uh, everybody know well yeah God knew about COVID absolutely preacher yes sir I, I believe that well God knows about your bank account balance right now too <laughs> God knows about how much pressure this high gas prices are putting on you right now see sometimes we think God knows about the big things but what about me 
What about today? And we worry. We, we say we know it, but our actions uh, reveal our true values. You see, it doesn't matter what you say. Your emotions betray you. I'm not mad. <laughs> okay. That didn't bother me. You know, you sometimes you can't even you can't, it, your your emotions betray the way you really feel, and the worry and the doubt and the dread and the anxiety and the fear. Our mouth says we trust God. Our mouth says we believe God, but our emotions say we don't believe God. Zerubbabel, you're going to put the final stone in. And then he said this, and this is what I want to preach about today. <laughs> Finally getting to a message. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. You see, we like to rejoice at the end of a thing. We have big dedication services when the final building is completed. When the carpet's finally laid and, and everything's just right. That's when we like to celebrate. Then we, But we worry all the way up to then. But God told Jerusalem, he said, the Lord rejoices to see it begin. To see it begin. Because God takes pleasure in faith, not in accomplishment. He takes pleasure, rejoices that you believed enough, Zerubbabel, to go and attempt to build a temple with just a few unskilled laborers. Hey, Zerubbabel knew about Solomon's temple. He knew when he left to go and rebuild the temple and he knew the budget that Cyrus had given him and he knew it was not enough and he knew he didn't have the skill labors but he began anyway and God rejoices to see the work begin he rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand, the first thing he had to do was measure it out. And as soon as Zerubbabel picked up the measuring tape, God said, look at this. God started rejoicing. God rejoices over one sinner that repents. Why? Because he rejoices at the beginning of a thing. At the beginning of it. Oh, they've got a long way to go. Oh, they may be addicted to drugs. Their life may be a mess. May, but God rejoices at the beginning of it. Hallelujah. 
Oh, praise God. I needed this sermon, Brother Moss, when y'all was in Ann Arbor in 1996. <laughs> when you're faced with a city that it seems like, especially in the Northeast, I'm sure you have some cities that seem like Jesus is the furthest thing from their mind. And God calls you to start a home Bible study, to start a preaching point, start a daughter work. And I hear it all the time, all the Northeast. I, let me just tell you this. 1966, Brother J.R. Enzi took a trip up to the Northeast. God laid it on his heart. And he and Brother C.H. Uh, Yaden was the uh, home missions director at the time. And Brother Enzi hadn't been in church for seven or eight years. And he, Brother Enzi had a desire to drive through the Northeast and document the need for revival. And Brother Yaden and home missions, this was before uh, Christmas for Christ. Christmas for Christ would start in Christmas of 1966. But this was before Christmas for Christ. They didn't have any money. And Brother Yaden said, well, Brother Enzi, if you'll go do it, home missions will pay to develop the pictures. <laughs> Forget about the gas and the hotel and all that. That's all new. But, but we'll pay to develop the film. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, Brother Enzi documented. I, I have the onion skin paper that he typed out. The population, how many churches were in every uh, district, every state, and the population, and how many churches per, and, and, and that's the only documentation we have from that era. Can I tell you that of all the regions, uh, we have seven regions that we divide North America into since 1966, you know the region that has had the greatest percentage of growth? The Northeast. The Northeast. Hey, come on, Brother Enzi. I don't care what the challenge is. We got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. By the way, that's a, that's the title of my message. You have to start somewhere. Y'all can put that up. They've probably been waiting on me to put, put the title up. But anyway, I tell you, I can tell you. Yeah, there you go. See? you got to start somewhere. You've got to have enough faith to pick up the measuring tape. That doesn't seem like very much. Think about what was in Zerubbabel's mind. Think about the audacity that it took for Zerubbabel, a man. I mean, later when they dedicate this temple, people who actually remembered Solomon's temple will weep because it's it, it's it doesn't compare to Solomon's temple. But I'm going to tell you what. The prophet declared that the Lord will come to his temple. And it's in that little temple, remodeled as it was, that Jesus stepped into. The audacity that it took for Zerubbabel to pick up that plumb line 
that measuring tape and start marking off the place for the temple. That's what a church planner does, isn't it? Okay, the first time you drive to the city, the first time you say, you know what, I think God wants me to start a church here. The young uh, man and woman that, that takes on a pastorate for the first time has no idea how to pastor, never pastored before, but God says, you got to start somewhere. Who remembers the first time you preached a sermon? How audacious was that? With all your knowledge. You got to start somewhere. You see, we like to hide the start. We don't want to show the start. We want to wait till we get a finished product. What we like to do is work behind the scenes over here so nobody can see how the sausage is made. We want anybody to know the uh, real story. Then we want to say, oh, look what God did. It's so ironic tonight that I'm here and Brother Moss is here, Sister Moss, because uh, in January of this year, I preached in Ann Arbor Church. There was 500 people there in the building. Now, it was a campus ministry international. The church is running just over 200, but they raised $80,000 to plant a church on that campus. So now they've got Solid Rock City Church. It's running... 40 people. But you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. We were in a church when they came to visit us and had a, a, a gay pastor. And it, they would have the rainbow flag hanging up there and had a plaque on the wall that said, we've entered into a covenant of openness and affirmation with members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender communities. We'd take that plaque off the wall. We'd roll that flag up, put it under uh, the back row. We'd pray. Uh, they, Dr. Jack Kevorkian petitioned the board to do a assisted suicide in the church building. They gave him a compassionate no. The board was split on it. They couldn't, they couldn't decide whether or not they were for that or not. You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. If somebody would have came by, I'm sure the bosses thought, this poor guy, you're never going to get nothing going here. This is, I mean, it was the afternoon. The, the sun shone, the, the sides of the building were glass, and so the sun would shine in. One day I was preaching, Brother Moss, and we, I had four or five men in the church, and one of them had sleep apnea, and he slept every Sunday, okay? So he'd get his nap out, uh, Brother Turner. And then uh, Joe Morris worked midnights. And so 2 o'clock was about his morning. He was, he was sleepy, 2 o'clock, and Sister Barb be poking him, trying to wake him up. And one day... Uh, I looked back there and Paul Kennedy was dozing off. You know, it was one of those uh, spring 
warm days, you know, and, and, and it started off cold and then the sun came in and, and warmed everything <laughs> up and people and, and, and Paul was dozing off. And then I had a young man with me. He, he wasn't even 30. And then I saw him doze off. I, I said, Hey, everybody wake up. I said, wake up. I am not that bad a preacher. I'm telling you, y'all are going to wake up and listen to me. <laughs> Man, you wouldn't have thought much. But you got to start somewhere. You got to pick up the measuring tape. What's God asking you to do? You see, we you you ever had a uh, a building in your town that everything that started there failed? You know, it's been like 14 different things, you know. And so they put up a new sign, they put a coat of paint on it, and and, and you're like, oh, I wonder how long that'll last. <laughs> and so you keep driving by there, and some people look at churches that way. Makes me mad. We, I don't know where home missions became a euphemism for small, struggling, and unsuccessful. But if there's one thing that happens that while I'm in this office, I want to erase that connotation over home missions. What a, what a church planner does is pick up the measuring tape. Somebody's got to pick up the measuring tape. Somebody's got to have enough faith to mark off and say, there's going to be a church right here. There's going to be a church right here. Oh, somebody's got to have enough faith when everything says there's no way to believe the word of God upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Somebody's got to have enough faith to begin a thing. You've got to start something. Oh, hallelujah. God has a plan. He always starts like this. You know, there's not a one of you that would, if, if you drove by a sign in your town that said, coming soon, Walmart. Nobody said, well, I wonder if they can make it. Huh. I got the sign out there, but I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Walmart don't put the sign out there unless it's going to happen. If Walmart puts a sign up, you can count on it. There's going to be a Walmart there. Do you have more faith in Walmart than you have in Jesus? When Jesus says this is going to happen, there's no need to worry about it. There's no need to doubt about it. It's going to happen. Oh, hallelujah. Don't wait for evidence. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's going to happen. Praise God. I will tell you. Brother Moss, y'all forgive me. I, I'm not apologizing for it. I, I'm, I'm enjoying being here with Brother Moss. Sister Moss. I may get over here and just preach to them. But, uh, 
I worried about that in Arbor Church for 10 years. I pastored it for 10 years. And I will tell you, whatever I am today, it happened through the struggle of that crucible. God worked me over. It wasn't so hard for God to build a church. It was harder for him to build a man. And I, I lived... The, the spiritual warfare was so intense, just unbelievable. And if you've ever been in a church plant situation, it always feels like you're, it's going to fall apart at any minute. You know, I mean, you can't ever really get comfortable. You got two families coming, but when the phone rings, like, oh, my gosh, what could this be? One family doesn't show up for church. You're like, oh, Jesus, what's going on? The whole life passes before it happens. And, and, you know, I was 28 when I started that church, so I still had a lot of ego left. I sure didn't want to be a failure. I don't know if I love souls more or if I love the idea of success more. But when God got done with me, he got some of that out of me. And... I remember just worrying about that church all the time. Honestly, I probably wasn't the best husband I could have been. I probably wasn't the best father I could have been because I was just constantly worried about whether or not this church was going to make it. In fact, I decided I'd be accountable to my wife because I recognized that I would neglect my family to build a church. And so I said, babe, you got to, I just, whatever you say, I'll do. If I need to spend more time with my kids, just say the word and that's what I'll do. I never will forget one day I was coming home from work. I was bivocational in that I was ministrated at a Christian school and assistant pastor at a church in Ypsilanti, which is about seven or eight miles away. And I was building the church in Ann Arbor. So I'd been at the office at the Atlantic Church, and I was headed home, and I got a call from a 14-year-old boy that was connected to a family, and I could feel the family slipping away. You know how it is. You can feel them slipping away, and you're reaching for them. You're praying for them, and you can just feel them slipping away. And I thought maybe this teenage boy, if I could get to him, maybe he could help me keep his family, and so... I'm driving home from the office and Sean calls me and he says, Hey, I need to talk to you. Can we go? I said, absolutely. I'll, 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 make, I'll pick you up. It was about five o'clock. I'll be there at five 30. Call my wife. And I said, Hey babe, I'm not coming home for dinner. I'm going to go meet with Sean. He called me. He wants to talk to me. And she was just kind of silent on the phone. I'm like, what? She said, what you need to do is come home and have dinner with your own kids. She said, how many times have you met with Sean and he's not listening? But my ego and my desire and my anxiety didn't want to lose this family because I might mean I might lose another family 
But I said, okay. I called Sean. I said, Sean, I'm sorry. I can't make it. I've got something else come up. We can talk Sunday or whatever. Went home, had supper with my kids. But you know what? You'll make some compromises because you get afraid. Start trying to do Not by might nor by power. This is impossible for you to do, Zerubbabel. But I'm going to help you. But I'm going to help you. About eight years in, took a vacation to North Carolina. The only way we could afford to go on vacation in North Carolina is friends of ours, stepmom owned a condo. And so all we had to do was get there and then we could stay in their condo. So that was the kind of vacations we had to take. And so I'm walking along the beach, Ocean Isle, California, and California, North Carolina. And the end of this little island, it was a man-made island. It was washing away erosion. There was multi-million dollar house there on the end. They had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars putting sandbags to, to block this the water from this house. And, and, and the water, high tide, was splashing still over into their swimming pool. And I'm standing there with my cup of coffee. It was a Sunday morning. And I'm praying, but I'm thinking about, I wonder how things are going at the church. And I'm just feeling the weight of all of that. And I look at the ocean, and I look at man's efforts to stop the ocean, and the Lord just spoke to me. And, and I, it, the, the scripture came back, Job said, Who said to the ocean, Go here and no further. And I'm just in awe at the power of nature and of God. God set this man. Look at man's efforts to stop the ocean. Man can't stop the ocean. And I'm just praising God. And the Lord said, yes, that's true. He said, but I set the church in Ann Arbor in motion. And nobody will ever stop it. You have to stop worrying about it. I can tell you that. And lift it. Zerubbabel, you will lay the final stone. You may not be able to see it now. But you will lay the final stone and you will complete this work. I'm here to tell somebody tonight, you're going to lay the final stone. Whatever God called you to do, if God called you to do it, you didn't call yourself to do it. God set it in motion. You had enough faith to start something. And God's going to help you finish it. Not by might, nor by power. But it's by God's spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise. I was, at, I was deputizing in Oklahoma and I stayed at the Moss's house. They didn't know what I was going through. 
But I had given literally everything, everything that we owned to start three churches. Started the Ann Arbor Church, started the Clinton Church. We had, and we had gotten a Bible study group going in a little town called Dundee. And I had bought house, I bought my first house in 1995. And we we would gain, God would help us, we'd get in the house, we'd fix it up, and we would go in debt, planting churches and sell a house, pay off the debt, and start another. I think I was at your place in 2010, and the financial crisis had come, right? 2008, 2009. And it wiped us out wiped everybody's houses out. That's how I had even made it, is equity house. So I had sold my last house and made nothing on it, nothing. And I was renting, and I was pastoring two churches we had started. We had just bought nine acres of property in Ann Arbor and had to build a $1.1 million building on it. We got in such a, it was just unbelievable, right in the middle of that financial crisis. I borrowed $17,000 at 22% interest to get that going. And I, I will tell you, I was eating cookies at y'all's house, and but I was in, I was just hurting. And, um, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I needed $10,000 to buy a house, down payment, 3%. I was trying to buy this house. God was just, you know, you got to just follow the spirit. When you're doing God's work, you don't know every day what's going to happen. I'm just telling you. All you Dave Ramsey fans, I I know y'all turn me off right now, okay, but. I'm going to tell you, Brother Dave had never planted a church. Uh, Come on in to this water, Brother Dave. He doesn't tell you he went bankrupt. What was it, two or three times? Okay. Well, he didn't do it for Jesus. But anyway, I'm off track. I'm going to tell you something. I may well forget. They were flipping houses at the time. Sister Moss said, well, you flip churches. I was like, yeah, that's that's what I do. (laughs) I went home, Brother Sister Moss, and God, I don't know how God got me in this house. It's a long story. But I was in that house when I got elected to headquarters. And I was... I had taken out a $44,000 line of credit on that house to start the last church in Plymouth. And it was all used up. And, you know, did it cheerfully. And my wife was here today. She'd say we did it cheerfully. Okay. No regrets. 
And I had kind of told this little sob story, you know. When I sold that house, I got back everything that I've ever given to church planning. And God tapped me on the shoulder and said, now what were you saying? Mm -hmm. About all your sacrifice. Come on, you better pick up that measuring tape. Pick up that measuring tape. You got to start somewhere. You got to keep going and you got to believe what God. It always starts like this for God's kingdom. He did. He came to Bethlehem. I mean, a manger, an unwed teenage mom. God doesn't care how bad it looks when you start. Are all these Galileans? It never looks like it's going to be anything. It never looks like it's going to start. You're never going to uh, be able to see the end of the thing except through the eyes of faith. If you can see the end of it and you know how it's going to end, then it's not faith. It's walking by sight. And the Bible says we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Come on, Philippians 1.6 says, And I am certain God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Oh, he's coming back. He's going to finish it all. Are you going to still be laboring? I'm looking at some wonderful men and women of God. You can stand. I'm closing. I'm looking at some wonderful men and women of God that you have been afraid that you don't have enough. You've been like Gideon. Standing there with 33,000 or 32,000 and saying, Oh, I don't have enough men to go against this quarter of a million Midianites. And God says, Well, actually, actually, you've got too many. <clears throat> Gideon didn't want to do it with 32,000. And God took it down to 300. And I'm, I'm looking at some men and women. You've been praying for more, and God's given you less. But you know what? He's got it all under control. He's got it all under control. Oh, praise God. Come on, Elijah. You're in your... You put yourself out there on a limb saying, let the God who answers by fire be God. That's far enough. Hey, Elijah, pour some water on this sacrifice. Let's get it real good and damp. Maybe, maybe Elijah thought, well, it's a pretty hot day. Maybe if God doesn't answer by fire, maybe we can... Get some smoke going on at least. Maybe we can get some. 
pour some water on it. Maybe this week you feel like God's been pouring some water on your sacrifice. Maybe God's led you up to a valley of dry bones and said, can these bones live? Come on, that's just the way God does business. His glory, he will never give to another. If you're successful in what God has called you to do, you'll never, ever be tempted to get your picture made in front of it and say, look what I did. Because God's going to make sure that you know that it was him. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Praise God. I'm going to close up. God, let you get the faith move in this room. Jeremiah had been preaching. Now I'm closing with this. This is my last thing. Jeremiah had been preaching. You're going into captivity for 70 years. They didn't want to hear it. They threw him in a pit. He said, don't preach that. But he said, you're coming back. He, he told them, cooperate with the Babylonians. This is of God. But you're going to come back. You know what an impossible message I see. What an impossible message. Then Jeremiah said, I'm in Jeremiah 32, 6. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you saying, Buy my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Okay, Jeremiah, you believe we're coming back? Prove it. Your uncle's coming to you to tell you to buy a piece of land. Now, you know you're going into Babylonian captivity. You know they're fixing to take over everything. It's what's happening in Ukraine right now. Who wants to buy land in Maripol from a Ukrainian? It's an iffy situation. All right? The uncle's coming. And so his uncle came to him. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deal, the deed, and sealed it. Took witness and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed unto Barak, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, 
both this purchase deed which is sealed and the deed which is open. Put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. You got to believe God so much that you'll purchase whenever things on the bottom. When everybody else said, it's not a good investment, you say, yes, it is. Why is it a good investment? What proof do you have? None except God's word. God's word. God said. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, I believe somebody here needs to make a recommitment to believe in God's word. Every word he's ever spoken is still valid. Don't care what it looks like. If he ever said it, it's still true and it's still coming to pass. I wonder if somebody's got enough faith to start measuring the impossible. No money, no resources, just a measuring tape. It's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit. Come on, you got to start somewhere. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Oh, God, let faith flood in this place right now. He that hath begun a good work shall perform it unto the day of Christ. Shall perform it. Shall perform it, God. God, I speak faith to every situation in this place tonight. God, every Everything that you've ever spoken, God. I wonder if somebody wants to walk to the front tonight and say, God, I still believe you. God, I still believe you. God, I still believe you. Maybe somebody, God is speaking to you to start a preaching point or daughter work or, 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 or start on a new building or purchase some land or whatever it is God's speaking to you. Come on, you got to believe God. you got to start somewhere. Oh, heaven's going to rejoice tonight because somebody is going to start tonight. Oh, God, we believe you, Lord. We believe your word. We believe your word. Oh, Riyadabaya Shatayalabaya Shatayalabaya.